This is Proxy Countdown. Welcome to the big show for the week of February 12th, 2024. Alongside my tag team partner, Matt Muscardi. I'm Damian Rollis on today's countdown. A female CEO hiring spree in the Fortune 500. Some fuzzy math at the Disney Proxy Contest. Reverse psychology at the Emerson Electric Annual Meeting. Voters not named Tyson at Tyson Foods AGM. And on the big vote, the world's favorite drug company that also happens to be my favorite ESG company. Let's get to the trade wire. Uh, Matt, we have two more female CEOs in the Fortune 500. This is not an early April Fool's joke. Uh, First, Freeport McMoran announced that Kathleen Quirk will assume the role of CEO effective as of Freeport's 2024 annual meeting in June. She will replace Richard Adkerson, who is remaining on the board as an executive chair with his 23% influence. So it remains to be seen who will really be in charge at Freeport. Kathleen and Richard both joined the company in 1989, but the new CEO is nearly two decades younger than the executive chair, so maybe her time is coming. And at JetBlue, we have a Glass Cliff CEO alert, as incoming CEO Joanna Garrity will have to address JetBlue's reliability and cost control problems. The airline is still losing money while larger airlines have returned to profitability post-pandemic. Joanna, who is replacing a dude named Robin Hayes, has been COO since 2018. And before that, she was actually chief people officer at JetBlue. So first of all, I'm throwing a yellow card at you for the Freeport McMoran the move to executive chair is the classic dude move to stay in control and not actually relinquish your your CEO role but not have to show up every single day. Yes, for now, but I'll I'll say it again. Richard Ackerson is actually 75 years old. Uh, Kathleen Quirk is 57, so I would think her time is coming. Hopefully Se- this is a leadership transition period. Second, I love calling this a bonanza. What do you, what did you, what, what did we say? A hiring spree? <laughs> Called it a hiring spree. spree. Hey, two out of 500 in the Fortune 500 is a lot. It's a that, lot of female CEOs all at once. That's in the most t- the only 10%. male index in the world. And only yeah. 10% of the companies are, have a female CEO. So it is sadly a spree, but yeah. it is not much of a spree. No. Uh, let's move over to our proxy cage matches. The one of note still is Disney. I mean, Matt, this is probably the most expensive proxy contest known to the world. Uh, I just want to point out one particular try-in filing. Uh, And let me tell you, between Disney's animated duck videos and Blackwell's rusted nickels and try-in shiny baubles, there are about 20 filings per day for this this very contest. But I just wanted to point out one filing in particular from Tryon that includes language such as this. This is just, for the for the ESG nerds out there, this is just the greatest language. I have two examples of it. First, 
all references to Proposal 7 at pages 6, 7, 23, 31, 33, 34, and 35 of the Tryon Group's proxy statement are amended and restated as follows. Proposal 9. And this other one, Matt. All references to Proposals 5, 6, and 8 at pages 6, 26, 33, and 35 of the Tryon Group's proxy statement are amended and restated as follows. Proposals 5, 6, 7, 8, and 10. This I is how much in the weeds this proxy contest is. I don't understand is. anything you just said. That's bananas. This this is the stature of modern day proxy contests, and this is probably why shareholders get exhausted and and very rarely vote through the dissident directors because it's a barrage of nonsense, and even skilled ESG technicians like us, Matt, are overwhelmed and and don't understand what's going on. That's well, the. Yeah, there's an ongoing irony with the whole Pelt's action here. He was on CNBC, I think, this week talking about how that that Disney's making all these announcements, but there's little meat on the bone of their announcements, including the epic video game deal that was a 1.5 billion dollar deal that Disney yeah. made. Um, the irony here is that in all of Trans' actual announcements of their own. There is no meat on how they plan on getting Disney back to the magic other than adding Nelson Peltz himself to the board and Jay Rasulo, former who, CFO, who was the former CFO to the board. And uh, when asked for any detail how he intends to achieve the things he's hoping to achieve, there is there is no actual strategy involved. So what we're really talking about is. A, a fight between a billionaire and, and a billionaire, right? And Iger versus Peltz, and it's it's turning into this petty fight where you you need a you need a slide rule to figure out what proposal anybody is actually talking about um, voting for. I'll remind you, according to a recent try and filing, all references to Proposal 7 at pages 6, 7, 23, 31, 33, 34, and 35 <laughs> of the try and Group's proxy statement are amended and restated as follows... Prox proposal nine. There, it's fixed. I know exactly what's happening. <laughs> Let's move over to our vote results table. Matt, we have three large cap companies to report on this week. First, at Tyson Foods, where over 10% of the vote was against directors Les Baledge and David Broncheck, and where two shareholder proposals, uh, a report on how it's lobbying aligns with the company's science-based targets and long-term net zero ambitions, and an audit assessing the effectiveness of the company's policies and practices in preventing illegal child labor, each also received the support of over 10% of votes. So why is this significant? Because of the roughly 912 million available votes at Tyson Foods, roughly 707 million of those are held by the Tyson family. Yes, the same Tyson family that controls Tyson Foods and lets its CFO, John R. Tyson, keep his job after being arrested for breaking into a woman's house and sleeping in her bed while drunk. So, Matt, this means that the adjusted vote, and what I'm calling the real vote, I suppose, this is the yeah. vote of non-Tyson family members, that vote actually voted to remove director David Bronchek and to support, with 50%, 54% of the vote, to support an audit assessing the effectiveness of the company's policies and practices in preventing illegal child labor, 
which seems like a very important uh, proposal. And look, that adjustment doesn't even take into account that 7% of the vote is BlackRock and Vanguard, which traditionally, True. you know, like would vote with management. And in this case, might not even be voting with management because it's so ridiculous. Our recommendation here was to vote against everybody. Uh, it really is just a sign of displeasure because none of your votes matter. Like the family controls the vote effectively here. So uh, we said vote against everybody. Um, and it looks like that didn't come true, but there is some dissidence. At Franklin Resources, five directors received over 10% of the vote. John Kim, Karen King, John Teal, Seth Wow, and and Jeffrey Yang. How about the fact that all five directors have one syllable name? I was going to uh, say, a are miracle you singing in itself. a song? That sounds like a song you just sang. Okay, so another adjusted vote. After removing the votes of the founding Jansen, Johnson family members and the institutional owners that you just mentioned, yeah. State Street, Vanguard, and BlackRock. So between th those founding family members and those three institutional owners, they control 60% of shares. So if you remove those shares and adjust the vote, this means that nearly a quarter of Franklin Resources uh, shareholders voted for the removal of five board members, which is a significant level of shareholder dissent. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually the adjusted votes are the most important way to look at these votes because you do have passive owners who aren't making a lot of active choices on uh, uh, at some of these companies, particularly large cap companies where they rubber stamp everybody, including the Kimball Musks of the world. And you have family owners that are basically doing whatever it is they want. It's their board. So the adjusted vote is a real measure of sort of active investor interest in the board members. And lastly, hold on to your hat for this one, Matt. At Emerson Electric. Okay, so there was a management had a proposal to declassify the board, okay, which is unusual. The board at Emerson Electric is classified, meaning that directors are voted on every three years. It's not an annual vote. So management themselves had a proposal to declassify the board, and it received the whopping support of 98% of the vote. However, Matt, the measure failed. Of course it did. Why? Because the proposal required the vote of 85% of outstanding shares. Okay? So bear with me. I did the math here. There are roughly 587 million shares outstanding. So 85% would be about 499 million. The total amount of possible votes at this year's annual meeting was... 490 million so there was no possible way that this proposal could have passed this is in fact the fourth time this proposal has failed uh, the board said in the proxy statement that we recognize that a declassified board and the right of shareholders to amend bylaws are increasingly considered important aspects of good corporate governance in respond to these trends and shareholder requests we have acted so the board is saying that it has acted by putting up this proposal that it knows will fail because it is a virtual impossibility to pass this vote. And how do I know this? Because listen to this, Matt. Shareholder activist John Sheveden has a solution to this. He put up a shareholder proposal this year asking for a simple majority vote that would replace the onerous requirement for a supermajority vote. But this proposal, in fact, was rejected by the board. They said that uh, that it would harm 
long-term shareholder interest and ultimately is an unnecessary distraction from the company's current efforts to continue its record of strong governance practices. This is the craziest game I have seen in quite some time. But let me tell you this, Matt. This proposal passed. 71% of shareholders actually agreed with this proposal. It passed. So what is the company going to do now? Well, uh, it, 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 these are advisory the, votes, right? They don't have to listen they, to the Absolutely. This, this is not binding, but 71% of shareholders passes after 98% said that they wanted to declassify the board. But the the board is playing a, 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 a tricky game of, of deceit here with with what's really happening. I mean, look, I'd be curious. This is a stock that has not performed tremendously well over the last five years. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's underperformed the S&P 500. It's no Tesla, but it's not like it's an underperformer. It's up almost 11% just this year. Um, uh, it's in the, in the last five years, it's up 55%. So while it's not outperforming the S&P 500, why can we have this vote on a classified board in at Emerson Electric of all places where there are barriers to getting it done, but not at a Tesla or a place where you have actual problems? I don't know. That's, that's the part I don't understand because we can all agree that it's nuts at Emerson Electric, but not nuts somewhere else. How about this as a solution before we move on to our big vote? 98% of the, of the voters supported to declassify the board. So how about this? Hold annual elections anyway, and and let's just see if there's anyone in that 2% who's going to care and, and, and sue to get this changed because it's not going to happen. So just, just hold them anyway. Yeah, I'm with you. Do it. Uh, the big vote. Let's move on to the big vote. For this week, uh, the week of February 12th, it is Starbucks, America's, the world's favorite drug company. And it happens, Matt, to be my favorite ESG company, and I have a bunch of reasons why that I'll point oh, out. Curious. Uh, let's get right to it. Uh, f- let me just first give you a brief uh, uh, profile of the ownership at Starbucks. Two major institutional holders, that's Vanguard at 9%, BlackRock at 7%. Found The founder and former CEO, like three different times, Howard Schultz, actually still controls 2% of voting shares. Uh, but I wanted to point out some, before you would get to your uh, recommendations about the board, I wanted to point out a few things that I like at Starbucks. First of all, there is, a, there is actually a, a proxy contest this year. Uh, the Strategic Organizing Center, the SOC, is putting up three dissident directors. So already we have something fun going on at Starbucks, and we'll get to that later. Second of all, all all of the directors are in their 50s except for one. I like that. I I don't think I've ever seen that before. Second of all, there's a three-headed non-white monster I'm calling here at Starbucks. So the three most powerful directors at Starbucks are the CEO... Uh, Lax, Laxman Narasimhan, uh, Chair Melody Hobson, and Satya Nadella, who's the CEO of Microsoft, they control 61% of the influence at Starbucks. I don't think I can, re- I don't recall another American S&P 500 company that has, that's not controlled, not controlled by family, not controlled by a single uh, founder like Facebook, where there's three people of color in control yes. of a company 
pretty remarkable. Uh, in fact, the board itself, Matt, is a is majority people of color. They represent fifty four percent of the board and sixty seven percent of the influence. And of the remaining five, that includes a gay woman, a Dane, and a bearded dude. So I mean, this is just an incredible. I, the anti woke would call this board woke. I I assume I just call it fun. I'm just impressed with everything at Starbucks. I also want to point out two other things. First of all, they have a director named Andy Campion, right? Yeah. Who really, uh, if you add an H, he's Andy Champion, <laughs> right? Sure. And, and he's on the, not only is he uh, uh, the former COO at Nike, but he's also on the board of the LA 2028 Olympic Games and the director of the UCLA Sports Leadership Program. I just think it's great they have a guy named Champion who's <laughs> at, from Nike. <laughs> All right. But uh, finally, before I hand it off to you, this is why, well, no, the, really the one of the main reasons why Starbucks is my favorite board is that each of the directors lists out their coffee choices, their favorite yes, coffee every year we at love Starbucks. This. So I want to highlight the five that I like the most. Uh, first of all, Rich Allison. He is one of the, the only white men on the board. Right, only one of the few white straight men on the board, and his choice is flat white, right? Which is perfect because his quote that goes along with this, I'm assuming it's not in the proxy. I just I'm assuming this is the quote that goes along with it. Is I'm the former CEO of a mediocre pizza chain and a white guy with no real Starbucks board power, so that's why <laughs> the flat white. The flat white, sure. The second one I like is Melody Hobson, Chair Melody Hobson, black woman Melody Hobson. Her favorite coffee is Pike Place Roast Black, and her quote, of course, is keeping it real. The, the third one I like is Satya Nadella. He gets a double espresso shot because, of course, his quote is, I'm important, I need the energy. Of course he would have a double espresso shot. He's also the CEO of Microsoft, Matt. This is Satya Nadella. Daniel Cerverche, he just takes a cappuccino because he says he's the old guy from Mexico. He's the only guy in his 60s. He's Aww. Mexican. So it just seems, a cappuccino just seems right for him. And finally, current CEO Laxman Narasimhan, he gets a dopio macchiato with steamed skim milk. And his quote is, I don't drink coffee, but it's just a humble brag that I trained as a barista after he took over as a CEO. So I, I love, I just love, I love these choices. I love this board. Honestly, uh, yeah. I, I've never hear, heard you gushier about a board <laughs> than this board. I really do have a lot of fun with this board. But Matt, I'm going to hand it over to you and get some actual analysis. Let's start with the election of 11 directors, and I'll remind uh, the listening audience that three of these directors are new. They were a appointed to the board in January uh, as a means to fight the dissident directors that were also have been nominated by the Strategic Organizing Center. Um, so it's a, there's, a, there's some strange things happening on on this uh, Starbucks board. So I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, I think the, that with, with the gush aside, the important yes. thing to remember here is uh, there is a dissident slate of three directors who, and the reason there's a dissident, a dissident slate. There have been 
anti-union busting strategies that Howard Schultz has repeatedly, repeatedly over years. Um, this isn't the first time unionization has come up at Starbucks. In fact, I think it was in the late 80s, a union was formed that lasted a, a very short time at a Starbucks store. This is a company that was founded ostensibly in Seattle, where their you know, flagship store is. And that's a place that where unionization is hot still I mean, acceptable say, it's still acceptable yep. there's there's a lot of acceptance of unions there so this is an ongoing problem and starbucks has seen fit actually to fight against unionization not just strongly but they've been actually called out as possibly illegally fighting against unionization yes, across several a times num a number of their stores and mm -hmm. across these efforts so much so that as unions passed on a store by store basis or in region by region basis, even the the headquarters has seen fit to offer benefits to non-unionized workers and say, now because you're a union, we can't offer you these benefits until we negotiate with the union. They're using things like yeah. unionization, you know, your unionization as an effort to limit employee access to benefits. They have uh, also completely closed branches that high performing branches that unionized yes completely, they, completely that's right. shut the doors they're shutting yeah. out off actual stores where they've unionized and then saying after the fact that this has nothing to do with the unionization effort right. it and, just and I, is coincidental and i will say why this is so important because uh, this this company is uber successful again this is the world's favorite drug uh, i don't even know how you screw up being a drug company of this magnitude the one thing that could derail starbucks this company is its relationship with its employees, with its baristas, who they refer to as partners. This is the one thing that could derail this giant of a company. And I think that's where the, the, the I mean, the dissident slate is entirely about this, right? Like, yes, it, and it was filed by the Strategic Organizing Center along with uh, the Service Employees International Union. So this right. is very much coming from the labor movement. So here's the here's where I started my analysis because the gushiness of this board actually and like the 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 makeup of this board might just, actually just so we're clear just so we're clear my gushiness of this board is not for individual members it's the joy and entertainment that I get as an analyst reading the proxy statement and in covering the company I know it's not a vote white. of approval for I, the, the the directors I know but the, I but, just love the company but I, I think the, there's yeah. there's from, from an analytical standpoint there's three questions that every investor is really coming at this or likely coming at this thinking right Go ahead. one yeah. is you're trying to solve what could be a long-term issue with labor then the slates that's been put forth is attractive, right? Like they are the guardrails against these labor issues. Now, I personally don't think these are long-term labor issues. I think these are short or midterm labor issues. I actually think, and uh, Starbucks has been open about the fact that they're building machines to replace some of these baristas, right? Like mm. the AI future actually might be dispensing coffee with fewer people, not more. And sure. arguably, if you're an investor, that could be in, in your head. But one option when looking at this vote is I want to solve the labor issue and this slate is attractive for doing that. The second way is I'm looking at this board and I'm thinking Starbucks is a mature unregulated drug company. How do we make this into a perpetual growth machine? Mm -hmm. Obviously drug companies themselves in their nature are can be perpetual. 
But this board has added people like Neil Mohan from YouTube, which is a drug. Let's not let's Absolutely. not like sugarcoat it. They added um, uh, Daniel Cerviche from Grupo Bimbo. They do it's baked goods and food. snacks. Mexican it's food, food service. Yeah, it, it's effectively a, a, a drug. Wei Zhang from Alibaba Pictures Group. Like this is yep. the this is entertainment. They're effectively feeding you with people who are very good at the addictive qualities. It's an, of I gotta tell you, it's incredible. They the, the other new director is Mike Siever. He comes from a cell phone company. He's the CEO at T-Mobile. They have, as I mentioned before, Satya Nadella from Microsoft. They have uh, Jorgen Vig Nudstrup, who's the former CEO of Lego, probably the most addictive toy known to the world. Yes. They have Beth Ford from a butter company. She's the CEO of Lando Lakes. Someone from Nike, someone from Domino's Pizza. It really is like the world's most addictive products. These are some of the smartest people at taking something that's an addictive product and figuring out how to distribute it to the most people possible. Like this is right. in that way, if you are thinking of Starbucks as turning from like some uh, some a fairly mature company into a growth company selling addictive products in new ways, this actually is an excellent board to do that there are very few boards that are constructed or as or as well suited i agree for that outcome but what what i will add here though is that and i i i applaud the majority people of color i am i applaud the 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 power that women have here as well but it does show you one thing very clearly is that this type of diversity is masking the fact that it all the directors kind of seem like the same person. Yes, it's a unit thing. Yeah, right? in many ways. Yeah, and, and they all kind of rep. They're all basically CEOs, former CEOs of companies that sell addictive products, and they're good at it, right? Like, which yeah. is good in some ways. But th that brings me to the third option: if you are looking for some sort of balance, knowing that the long term isn't just about labor; it's about climate change and supply issues with coffee beans and chocolate and all of the addictive things that Starbucks actually does sell tea and you're dealing with you 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 need growth um you can't let get away from growth there's an ai future here you got to balance all of those things right there is some level of mixture that ne likely needs to happen on this board like the guardrails can't just be growth at all costs addictive a fully addictive oriented board it can't just be add three labor candidates to you know, derail the you know like the the labor policies of Starbucks, which are inherently negative against their own partners, quote unquote. There's some mix, right? I am a proponent of the mixed strategy in the end. Yeah, because and I, I, you know what? And I will tell you, just to peek ahead at the at the say on pay proposal and executive pay at Starbucks is that the company would seemingly agrees with you because even its pay plan mentions things like. Sustainable supply chain, sustainable coffee, sustainable dairy, regulatory sustainability, um, hiring more you know people of Carl in leadership. So uh, we talked about the Bristas before. This is a company, that, unlike others, that really should be focused on the different tenets of stakeholder capitalism, right? Because it, it really does it, it needs to control not only its labor force but its supply chain moving forward otherwise the company will implode so i think that's right and i think actually and to get to that place right i think we need to understand two things about how this board and the exec executive the leadership is constructed one is the power center of the leadership because you mentioned you know um laxman and uh 
Melody Hobson as a duo own 46% of the overall influence. When you add in the fact that you have um, what we like to call the Southeast Asian male CEO, which is usually a loud founder get followed up by a quieter Southeast Asian male. Now, this mm -hmm. is like a trope at this point because yeah. we've seen it at Google with Sundar Pichai. We saw it at Microsoft with Satya Nadella himself. We, we've seen it at, we've seen it in a number of places. Now, now Starbucks from Schultz to Laxman Narasimhan. Right. Um, but when you add in the fact that Nadella, Neil Mohan, and Laxman Narasimhan are all basically of a similar cohort in that way, throw yeah. in Hobson and you have not only the most diverse controlling cohort, but arguably a very similar thinking cohort. The power yes, structure absolutely. is very similar in, the, in uh, with this group. And you have Schultz, who's a 2% owner, who you can't discount while not on the board, the shadow influence he's likely to wield as a 2% influence. Until he, as long as he's breathing, there is a shadow influence and maybe a boomerang CEO possibility. And, uh, it's uh, always there. Potentially always there. This is, there are bad signs for groupthink here. And I don't, mm -hmm. I, th th I got a little bit deep in a free float analytics offers groupthink metrics. I got deep into the groupthink metrics that include things with this is a board where the vast majority of them are their CEOs. Um, they are or ex-CEOs. They are mostly within two years of age of each other, which you don't exactly. see that, I, that often. As I said at the top, all, all but one are in their 50s within a, within a very it's specific very range. very condensed range. I've never seen that before. They are mm -hmm. mostly men. They are actually mostly Democrats by political lean. There's huge connections professionally back to just a few companies, including Nike, Microsoft, Pepsi, McKinsey, where Laxman was uh, at McKinsey for a long time, and even affiliations. Both Satya Nadella and Laxman are on the Council of Foreign Relations, for instance. Um, on the board of trustees, of the Brookings Institute. Laxman sits there, but so does Phil Knight from Nike. Like there are lots of these overlaps, but the most interesting one is nearly everyone on the board, while they might be sort of in the drug delivery system, um, they're also, they love autocracies. The Christensen family owns Lego. The Estee Lauder family, where Melody Hobson's on the board, is owned by the, the uh, owns Estee Lauder. Uh, Google, um, where Neil Mohan's sure. uh, 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 an executive, is Sergey and Larry, a dual class company. T-Mobile was owned by the German government. Alibaba, Jack Ma owned Alibaba mm -hmm. outright. Stitch Fix, Twenty Three and Me, both Laxmans on both of those boards, or Neil Mohan's on both of those boards. They're both dual class. Um, Schultz himself made this sort of like an autocracy, the founders sitting on the board, boomeranging back. These are board members who are used to a monarchy or a, a, a totalitarian sort of situation. Yeah. And let's not, forget who sits, let's not forget who Satya Nadella replaced, which was uh, the empire of Bill Gates over at Microsoft. Exactly. We're, and while, while Gates was an executive chair on Microsoft for a long time, even as Balmer was CEO, these are directors who are used to singular, uh -huh. powerful people controlling the outcomes of the companies that they either work for, sit on boards of, and this is almost uniform across all of them. So you have a mindset that is, we're okay with an, an autocrat for the most part. We're mostly of the same age. We're mostly from the same 
set of companies. We do mm -hmm. mostly the same thing. We're we mostly might even look men. like each other. We and we we starting to look like each other. This is a, like uh, there's a lot of groupthink flags that sort of go yeah, off. Yeah. So here. this is, it sounds like you're leading to maybe so we haven't talked specifically about the distant directors, but it sounds like you might be leading to to supporting the distant directors, which who are. Maria Echeveste, Joshua Gautbaum, and Wilma Liebman. Uh, yes. Yeah, so let's get to a recommendation, okay. right? Um, so I did the rec I thought of the recommendations in three sets. One being if you are um, you vote against the entire dissident slate, if you're all in on the addictive future of Starbucks. If you are this board will get you growth at all costs kind of thinking, there'll be fewer guardrails when it comes to keeping people addicted and future growth. And the dissident slate is a barrier to that in a way. I would say if you're all in on the labor issue, if you're a socially oriented investor, a stakeholder oriented investor, then you vote for at least two of the dissident slate. And I would say um, uh, Echeveste and Liebman fit that role really well. You get a government sort of play um, with Echeveste and Liebman is the NLRB rep. You don't really need a third person there. You sort of need at least two, but well, I, you could go yeah, off. I would say Incredibly, to your point, the dissident directors, like the board at Starbucks, are also kind of monolithic, right? Yes. They're all they're all lawyers. They're all about seventy. They all basically represent the same interests. I, I agree with that, and but I think they've targeted. Um, one of the things that SOC has done is give you opposed directors. They've given mm -hmm. you three directors to vote against and replace with theirs. Their opposed directors are Rich Allison. Andy yeah. Champion Campion and yeah. um, Jorgen Vignutstorp from, from Lego. And they claim they've chosen, this is the quote from their filing, we've chosen to oppose the opposed company nominees because each of them holds a position of leadership on the board by virtue of chairing at least one of the board's committees. So they're I just picking committee chairs. I, I actually think they've, they've, they've missed the argument with those three. I'm not okay. saying that they're wrong about them um, doing committee well, chairs necessarily. Those are powerful positions. Yeah. I mean, from our perspective, uh, though, they are targeting people with a bit more influence than others. No, in general. Yeah. Yes. But I, yeah. but they didn't put, they didn't say vote out Satya Nadella, who is the third no. most powerful person on the board. They didn't say vote out Melody Hobson, who is, outside of the CEO, the most powerful person on this board. Right. Um, I would even argue that Daniel Cerviche uh, is... Who just joined. Who yeah. just joined from Bimbo, has a history of labor controversies. Mm -hmm. so, I, 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 so does Sievert, Michael Sievert from T-Mobile. They had actual collective bargaining issues in their past that they've had to deal with, and they did it badly. If you're going to vote for labor, wouldn't you vote out people who have been bad at labor? Except... Yeah, except that the wrinkle of this is that these these three new directors that you're referring to were just put on the board in January. I don't even know that the SOC had time to to digest who these people were. I think that's correct, but the investors do have that time, right? Like, right, so I exactly. wouldn't necessarily, if you're for the labor side of this, you know, you're approaching this from a social position. I would vote out not necessarily who they oppose. You can vote for the slate and vote out anybody you want to, you know, um, and I would choose not necessarily just the chairs of committees, which is a shorthand for replacing yeah. power at boards. I would vote out 
either Nadella and Hobson. Um, Hob Hobson's been there for the longest. She's the longest tenured director. Like this is a chance at refreshment. I would also 19 think about years for Melody Hobson. I would think about Sievert and Daniel Cerviche because they, they've had labor issues in the past. Right. That's what you're yeah. trying to solve with the slate. I, I will say that uh, I, I fear that this is why the dissident slate will fail, is that there is a bit of confusion here with, um, I, I would think you target the three new directors. They haven't been here. They don't, rep they, they, again, to your point, they represent basically the same person anyway. So, so why not just say we reject your new additions and we'll, we'll be the new additions instead. But they're, they're kind of strangely pointing at the the chairs of the committees, and I'm worried that the the shareholders will kind of be overwhelmed by you know who to choose, who not to choose, and that in the end this will be a wash and they'll I, lose. I, I think that's probably true, which is why I would advocate for the final this this yeah. um, more balanced approach, which is. You vote for one of the dissident slate, and I would go with um, uh, uh, Wilma Lieben, Liebman from um, NLRB, um, okay. and I would actually engage simultaneously to have her installed on the nomination committee um, uh, at, a, at a minimum, at a minimum. But also put her on the community committee, which I think put is a everywhere. bit of a fake committee. Um, yep. But the nomination committee, that makes sense. It gives her some power, gives her some influence right out of the gate. Uh, moving on quickly, uh, we're over time. Say on pay at Starbucks. Uh, I, I will say, I'll try to keep this brief. Again, another reason why Starbucks is such a, a favor from an analyst, ESG analyst perspective is that, uh, Matt, this compensation discussion analysis is 43 pages long and it, it includes every dream of every woke ESG analyst, including. 15% of the annual plan is based on ESG goals, which include uh, inclusion and diversity targets, including a uh, uh, um, people of color retention rate at management level with actual payout based on actual quantifiable goals. 7.5% uh, is based on sustainability goals, some of which I already mentioned, like a sustainable supply chain. Um, they had a a representation modifier, which will actually adjust down the long-term equity if they're not doing a good job keeping people of color at management level. Uh, it's just, really, it's incredible. But in a nutshell, the CEO made $15 million last year, and uh, this the CEO to median worker pay ratio was over 1,000, 1,028 to one. So that might be the number that a lot of shareholders uh, are really focused on when you consider the battle now going on between uh, management and the baristas. You know, and the irony is when you get to the end of the 43 pages and the number is 14.6 million, 15 million, <laughs> yeah. it feels like a gaslight. Like we just talked about $56 billion clawback from Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. 15 million seems like a joke. And um, Narasimhan just came from Reckitt Ben Kaiser. Ben um, was his prior company, mm -hmm. where this is a raise for him. He just made yeah. like an extra nine million based on you know from from the salary he was getting there. Th th this feels like a four vote, mostly because it seems like uh, the most successful drug delivery company is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. And there's so much layered in here. I, I'm, I'm it's confusing to me what to be anti. Uh, let's wrap up with the shareholder proposals at Starbucks this year. We, uh, I, I will remind people that last year, in fact, a, uh, a shareholder proposal passed 
51% of shareholders voted to support an assessment of worker rights commitments. Uh, so again, just proving that that this is the number one issue at Starbucks, right? Because even even fifty one percent of shareholders, you know, want the company to weigh in on their relationship with their workers. But in twenty twenty four, we have three votes. Two of them are anti woke. I'm almost tired of spending time on these. It's the same two anti woke proposals at every company from the National Legal and Policy Center and the National Center for Public Policy and Research. Uh, and then there's one from PETA, a report on plant-based milk pricing. I don't have a lot to say here, Matt. But yeah, I'm a vote against all of them um, uniformly. And I think, like, uh, actually, the the anti-woke ones are easy. The plant-based milk pricing just feels like a misguided use of time. Like, uh, I I don't know that we need a report. I love reports, but this seems like a one that is both outside of scope for Starbucks. And while I love, uh, you know, what Pete is trying to do, it does seem like a bit weird. I'm against all of them. All right, let's wrap up our big vote for the week of February 12, 2024. Matt is saying, uh, what are you saying on the board? You're saying, I'm saying you vote go ahead. for Wilma Liebman and okay. vote this against director. Mike Sievert. And that's your swap. That, okay. I think, is your swap. So taking it one dissident director at a time, a vote for Liebman and a vote against Sievert. Uh, you're saying yes on Sam Pei. You're saying no on all shared proposals. That's it. That's the proxy countdown for the week of February 12, 2024. Join us next week when we jump back in to the alternative democracy pool forever on the lookout for shareholder sharks, floating band-aids.